Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, got it, got it, got it! 33! Center field, Marsh leaps, and he got it! normally high fly ball deep left field oh 27 does it again through this year wall sends it well out to left center field and it's gone he went to jared way this is brandon marsh the los angeles angels baseball you listen to all angels podcasts And welcome to another edition of the All Angels Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Garcia. So first off, happy August. I'm sure as Angel fans, we are really excited to get the month of July behind us and move forward into August. We are recording this Monday night, less than 24 hours away from the trade deadline in 2022. Angels aren't suspected to be big players in that area as far as the trading deadline. They do have a couple players that could be on the move. And honestly, for what the team needs, I think that is a good move. There is one guy in particular, though, that is on the Angels that has, the Angels have come out and said that he is not going anywhere, and that is Shohei Otani. We'll talk a little bit about that in a bit so let's do a quick recap of the weekend's games against the texas rangers in anaheim it was a four game set that started on thursday and unfortunately it was a lot like the past few um, series where angels struggle in one category or the other you know sometimes it's the offense sometimes it's the pitching other times it's the bullpen, but they always seem to win one game out of the series. They always seem to avoid a sweep somehow, but they only pick up one, and that's exactly what happened in this series against the Texas Rangers. We'll, we'll go fairly quickly about it because I think now that we are in the month of August and the Angels record is you know what it is, it's kind of not pointless, but there's not a whole lot to look into when you look at games. There's little sub stories inside of those games that are interesting and I find interesting to kind of look back at. And there's certain players to kind of look back at and get excited for. And for what this series was, there was definitely that kind of excitement on certain players um, during this series. But it's just for whatever reason, it didn't really come all together. It did in one game. But even then, in the in the victory on Saturday, it was a 9-7 victory. And, you know, the pitching had been doing very well up to that point, but then ends up giving up seven runs again. So let's go to Thursday night. The big news for Thursday night was the fact that David Fletcher was back in the lineup for the Angels. And I talked about that, I think it was like two or three weeks ago when Fletcher was in his rehab stint at AAA Salt Lake. I, I kind of figured that this series, this homestand, would be a perfect opportunity for them to activate him after being off for what felt like forever, but it was probably closer to two, two and a half months for having surgery. So it was great to see him back in the lineup. It was great to see kind of more of the full-strength infield um be out there. Obviously, you're still missing Ron- Rendon, but to have Fletcher out there, Renhefo out there, Walsh out there, that it, it was good to finally see that. And Fletcher definitely started out the way that you would expect Fletcher to start out a major league. Uh, you know, his second half of the season is you know his like kind of rebirth of the season for David Fletcher, and that was with a first pitch swing for a double. And 
I guess one of the biggest things about David Fletcher that people, I don't necessarily want to say they got on him about, but was kind of a yeah, but about his game was the fact that he does not work counts. He does not get deep in the counts. If you're looking for a guy to take pitches and work uh, an account and, you know, get the starting pitchers count, you know, up David Fletcher's definitely not that guy. And he's still not that guy. Um, but he does put the ball in play quite a bit. And for a team that has lacked that ability for quite a while now, it is definitely a good change for the angels to have David Fletcher back in the lineup defensively. He looks, you know, a, what you would expect. After missing that many days, you know, obviously there's a little rust here and there, but I think he got most of it off in in AAA, but you can definitely tell that he is going to get better with that the more and more he plays. So he definitely started out on Thursday and it was great to see him back in an angel uniform after so much time off. So Otani would end up taking them out on Thursday. Angels were looking for their third win in a row for the first time in in forever. And Otani would have a Otani type of start i mean there's no other way of putting it he's had a very good season this year so far pitching the ball definitely a lot better than he was last year obviously his offense has taken a half step back from that but his offense or his pitching has definitely evolved to the next step and in this game he would end up going six innings giving up eight hits giving up two runs and 11 strikeouts and again, another game with him 10 or more strikeouts is awesome. It's great. You know, he's on some kind of a roll now where you know he's going to get his strikeouts. And only limiting this, again, offense to two runs. And and two runs for this offense, again, I think this offense is real sneaky good. This offense can keep you in games, the Texas Rangers. So the limit the damage to two runs, I think, was a good thing. One run coming off a Nathaniel low home run in the top of the fourth. One of those kind of, I call them a little cheap uh, home run that doesn't quite get over that right field wall. And if it was Angel Stadium, you know, five years ago, it's it's a double off the wall. But since the change, obviously now it's a home run. It just has to get over that yellow line. So that was one run. And then in the fifth, uh, Corey Seager would double in a run to make it 2-0. But unfortunately for Shohei, and not only himself going 0-4 at the plate, but again, you had guys like Ward 0-4, Walsh 0-4, Stassi 0-4. You had um, a lot of guys that have really struggled get putting the ball in play and getting hits and getting on base. One guy who hasn't, though, had that kind of struggle has been Luis Renjifo. This guy, we'll talk a little bit about his July a little bit later, but in this game, three hits. Him himself, Luis Renjifo, had three hits. The rest of the team combined, two. So that kind of shows you what the offense looked like during this game. You had a a hit by Fletcher, and then you also had a hit by Brandon Marsh. But other than that, the rest of the team got held hitless, and obviously that's not how you win a game. Angels would end up losing 2-0 on Thursday and so yeah that was kind of a buzzkill angels running high off that two-game winning streak at the the finish the Kansas City series but I think a lot of people knew coming into this series against Texas Rangers the Texas Rangers and Kansas City Royals are kind of two different teams and I feel like kind of going in two different directions I think Texas is going to be around for a little bit I don't think this is a one-year deal and they maybe regress I think Texas, with the money they spent this offseason, and if they're able to get some of these prospects to start working for them, they can be really serious players going forward. Uh, Kansas City just kind of seems like in a rebuild. You know, they're part of the the the, the selling teams this off uh, uh, this season, and probably in the offseason too. You, you saw Ben Attendee go to New York right after this series was over. So, or after the. Um, last series was over. So obviously, you know, Texas is on a kind of a different level than Kansas City. So we go to Friday's game where Patrick Sandoval was on the mound. And I mentioned this last podcast where the first couple innings were going to be very critical for Patrick Sandoval and the confidence and him being able to get out of innings, getting out of trouble. And he did exactly that. His first couple innings were great. He ends up getting a little bit of trouble later in his outing. But I think because he was able to kind of have that confidence build up from 
earlier in the game, he was able to get out of it, and he did a really good job. He's still kind of on the low side when it comes to innings pitched. And I think that's more of a, a, a... a problem because of his pitch count. He gets into deep counts. He's not quite able to finish guys as quickly as you would hope. Um, but again, it's it's a good sign. He is going forward. He is working his way to being a frontline starter for this team. I don't think he's there quite yet, but you can definitely tell that there is that kind of makeup in him. And hopefully within you know the next couple of years, he is able to kind of solidify, be more consistent with his starts, but Patrick Sandoval on Friday went five and two thirds innings, giving up four hits, two earned ones, two walks, and six strikeouts. So, like I said, really good outing by Patrick Sandoval. I would have loved to see him go a little bit deeper than just into the sixth inning, but like I mentioned, his pitch count was up there. His pitch count was 92. He probably could have tried to get out of that last inning, but um, it didn't work great. Uh, Andrew Wants would come in, have a great inning. Uh, Loop would come in for an inning plus, and that's where it got a little bit um, got out of reach for the Angels. Obviously, defense has been a huge issue with the Angels this season, more so than I remember from years past. And that's exactly what happened when Loop was out there, because Loop would end up giving up two runs, but only one of them earned. And same thing when Elvis Paguero was out there. You look at his stat line, he gave up three runs and one of them was was earned. So obviously there's something going on, not just at the plate or not just um, pitching, but the field, you know, Joe had a really rough series. Um, If you remember, I believe it was Friday's game where the ball just kind of got away from him in the corner. He tried to cut it off and for somehow it hopped over his glove or went through his legs and he wasn't looking for it or, or I don't know what happened to spin on the ball or something but that corner that left field corner was really an issue for the Angels this last series because even I believe on Saturday or Sunday Marsh had a, a, an issue with that left field kind of corner and playing it around the edge over there and it taking a weird bounce so it just seems like when things are going right for the Angels all that stuff doesn't happen the defensive stuff the little things like that you know getting out of innings quickly not committing errors, not allowing something cheap to come around and score. But that's exactly what happened in this game on Friday. The Angels were able to score two runs, though. So I guess in a way that was good for them. And one of them came on an RBI uh, in the sixth inning by, again, Luis Ranjifo. A guy has been really on fire lately, and it's great to see him kind of hopefully, again, hopefully uh, turn the corner and be able to um, – come up and bet and more situations with men on base and perform and come up clutch. But unfortunately the angels would drop Friday's game seven to two, which meant the best the angels could do in this series would be a series tie. So we go to Saturday in which Saturday was uh, the best game out of the four for sure. Um, a lot of fun, you know, they got down early. Texas would end up scoring two in the top of the third. But of course, the MVP of the AL, defending MVP of the AL, would come up in the bottom of third and deliver this three-run shot. for Shohei. Three-run job. And the Angels take a lead. He does it for the goose. And that would give the Angels the lead, giving Chase Silseth, the starting pitcher, a second life, if you will, um, after giving up those couple runs in the third inning. Chase, again, just got called up from AAA. We knew there was something going to happen with one of these starts this weekend because of the fact there was a kind of a TBD in between. So what ended up happening before the game was that they pushed Detmers from Saturday to Sunday, which also meant they moved uh, Noah Syndergaard from Sunday off day Monday to starting Tuesday night after the trade deadline. And we'll talk about what possibly could happen with him. But I do think part of that move was to give the Angels an opportunity to move him or more opportunity to move him at the deadline. Um, So again, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. But getting back to the game, uh, Chase Silseth struggled. His miles per hours seemed like to drop quite a bit after the first couple innings. And coming out of this game, he did say, Chase did say him not pitching for, I think he said like two weeks, two plus weeks, 
definitely he felt had an effect on him. And I don't know why they hadn't pitched him in that long. I don't know if that's the sole reason why that his velocity was down uh, as dramatic as it was from, you know, one inning to the next. Um, does that mean Chase is going to be a bullpen guy going forward? I, I, that's a possibility. If some of these other starter types um, develop and develop fairly quickly, I'm talking about Bachman, um, Kai Bush, you know, you have, you know, uh, Jonathan Diaz, you have other guys that can fit into the rotation. And that makes you think, where do you pay, put Chase Silseth? Maybe he's a guy that down the line is more of a bullpen arm. You saw the drop in velocity after a couple innings. Maybe he's just a guy that can give you one or two innings and that's it. We'll see how that plays out. Again, that's something for in the future and something that I think Angel fans will have to keep a, a lookout on, especially if some of these other pitchers in the minor leagues develop and are able to jump into the starting rotation or compete, even compete you know, for the starting rotation. But in the top of the fourth, Marcus Simeon would put the Texas Rangers up again with a two-run home run to make the score 5-3. to three. And then after that fourth inning, that would be it for Chase Silseth. He would go four innings pitch, five runs, five earned runs, uh, four walks. So obviously, command was not his friend that day because anytime you put someone like that on base, it is really hard to win a game. You cannot give free runners, especially if you're a team that has been struggling to, you know, up to this point, score runs. And granted, for the Angels, they ended up scoring more runs this game, but they definitely didn't make it easy on himself. He had five strikeouts with uh, giving up that one home run. So Chase Silseth, again, a young guy. It's hard to expect too much out of him at this point. Again, very young in his major league career. A guy that you know may be a year too early, might be a year from really taking that next step. We'll have to wait and see, but... It looks like he's going to be one of the guys now that is going to be in that rotation, you know, floating back and forth. And that's probably not the best for developmental reasons, going back and forth between the minors and the majors. But he definitely seems like a guy that they at least trust to put out there and not get completely rocked. I mean, I know four, five runs over four innings isn't the best, but he has shown that he's been able to, to do fairly well. And we'll see how long the Angels are willing to kind of ride with that for a little bit. So like I mentioned, uh, Marcus Simeon uh, hits the home run angels up or sorry, Rangers up five to three, but the angels would get one run closer when Max Stassi comes up in the bottom of the fifth ground ball. Oh, and it gets through a friendly hop base hit RBI with two outs and it makes it five to four. So the angels keep on getting closer, keep on making that gap a little bit tighter but the Rangers kept on doing a good job of keep on adding it on and kept on, you know, if you're a Ranger fan, you had to feel comfortable with the fact that, okay, they, the angel scored. Okay. Then we're going to score. So you had to feel comfortable with that. And that's exactly what happened in the top of the sixth inning with newly acquired angel Tuki Toussaint making his angels debut, his major league debut for the angels. This game, he would end up giving up a home run that would make the score seven to four, Texas. So now you're getting into the bottom, the late innings, and it would stay seven to four all the way to the bottom of the eighth. And this is where it does uh, for the Angel fans finally get really exciting. So after a Max Stassi single to lead off the bottom of the eighth, you had a strikeout by Joe Adele, followed by a walk by Brandon Marsh. And you just felt like at that point, okay, just get the lineup, you know, back to the top of the lineup. And I think that was the biggest thing at that point. Get Stassi on, get, you know, Brandon or Joe or whoever, get them on to get that top of the lineup up. And that's exactly what happened because right after the Brandon Marsh walk, David Fletcher does this. Out towards left field. Oh, that's a nice piece of hitting. Stassi's rounding third. He's going to score. Marsh is trying to score. He's going to make it. That's a two-run double for David Fletcher. It's 7-6. So always great seeing a guy like David Fletcher back again. This is his first series back in some time now. And the crazy part was, and again, he's coming back from surgery. He is going to be on, you know, I guess the equivalent of a pitch count, if you will, for a 
offensive player. He wasn't not he wasn't scheduled to play Saturday night, but when uh, Phil Gosling got hit by a pitch, got taken out, uh, David Fletcher had to step in and play that day. So I guess bad thing that you know obviously Phil got hit and it was a scary enough situation where he had to be taken out of the game, but good that you have someone on the bench like David Fletcher that yes, technically he's still a starter, but it's nice to have him on the bench that can come in and contribute. And that's exactly what he did in the bottom of the eighth. David Fletcher would later score on a wild pitch that would tie the game seven, seven and Luis Renjifo would come up and play hero once again. So again, Angels are up late in the game. Uh, Luis Renjifo is making, I said this last week, or last podcast, he's making a very strong case for being the everyday second or shortstop. I don't know how you want to put Fletcher or where you want to put Fletcher compared to, to uh, Luis, but making a very strong case to be one of those starting middle infielders next year and be right next to David Fletcher. And whatever position you want to put him in, I'm sure – there's probably a little a give and take on, on both sides. I think both of those guys are really good second basemen. Um, and both guys kind of have, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if they, if Fletcher creates enough pop at a shortstop position. Usually in that shortstop position, you're looking more of a power guy. But defensively, he's good. Renjifo has shown power in the past at, you know, Salt Lake and, and, and down in the minors. But for this season, he's not showing a ton of home run power. And maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe he's kind of trading off the power for more of a contact skill because it's definitely shown up the last month that maybe not hitting home runs, but he's definitely putting the ball in play. He's definitely finding gaps. He's definitely getting on base. And I think for a team that struggles to get on base, you know, the home run is kind of overrated in that aspect. It's one thing when you're getting a bunch of hits from everybody, but you're not quite getting that home run pop to put you over the top. Then I think maybe you start trying to go more for the home run because you know other guys will get on. With this team so far, it just seems like no one's getting on, no one's getting on base, and if you have to change your approach from going from trying to hit the ball over the over the fence to just getting on base and getting in the gaps, I think it's not something Luis has done over this last month. Well, uh Rossell Iglesias would come in on the bottom of the, or top of the ninth to save this game. And Rossell has been struggling as of late. And I don't know if it's something to the point where have we seen the best of Rossell Iglesias. Remember, last year he was really, really good with the Angels. But you also have to remember, before he came to the Angels, he was having like, he had like two or three really good years for Cincinnati. So it's not like he came to the Angels and that was his breakout year. He was actually really good before he came to the Angels. And anytime you see a closer with five or six, you know, good seasons behind them, that to me is kind of like, okay, there's going to be some kind of a decline at some point. You know, unless your name is Mariano Rivera, unless your name is, you know, Trevor Hoffman, where it seems like those guys never seem to fade at all especially Mariano Rivera, it seems to be that 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 cliff, if you will, that going downhill for uh, relievers always shows up. And the hard part is being able to tell when it happens. And it's crazy because even too, you can look at Angels closers in the past and you can look at where they are relevant to saves and saves history. Like, for example, on the next ballot of the Hall of Fame, one name that's really going to stand out to Angel fans is Frankie Rodriguez, K-Rod. Obviously, great closer. Obviously, huge part of the Angels winning the World Series in 02. But to sit there and be like, he's a Hall of Fame closer, I don't I don't buy that. And it's for a couple reasons. One is, yes, he is the fourth. He has the fourth most saves in baseball. But if you look at the math, and this is more of a thing on uh, Mariano Rivera, and how great he was and how long he did this. If you look at the difference between fourth place and first place, that gap is so much bigger that the gap between fourth and like 20th is smaller, if that makes sense. There's like a hundred and something save difference between fourth place and first place. But yet there's only a hundred saves difference between fourth and, uh, and like 30th 
20th or something like that. And that just shows to me that closers don't last a long time. They have three or four really good years, five good years maybe, but they, that's it. And for Rossell right now, who is, who is struggling, you know, in this game, on Saturday's game, he gets the first out, but then he gives up a single and a walk. And, yes, and nothing really came around the score. Nothing really happened after that, getting the next two guys out. But with his pass and what he's done this year so far, you can't help to think that when those first two guys get on or two guys get on, that nothing good is going to come of it. So I don't know if we've seen the best of Rossell Iglesias. That is something that I think will play out in time. But the facts and the history and kind of that position's history more specifically are not in his favor. So hopefully he can be close to what he was last year going through the rest of his contract. I'm not 100% sold on that he will be. And again, just knowing closers and the and how up and down they are, you know, I'm trying to think the, the Mets closer that was uh, uh, Edwin Diaz. Yeah, Edwin Diaz. The Mets closer right now. He's having a great, great year. But if you remember the year after he got traded to New York, that first year, I think the first full year in New York, he did not have a great year. But, I, you know, you have to kind of stick with him. But now he is one of the best closers in baseball. And maybe that's all it is. Maybe this season is a bad season for Rossell. Maybe next season – Teams more competitive, new voice, new faces in that coaching staff might, you know, rejuvenate him. But you have to really look at it as far as maybe it is um, past his prime. Maybe we did see the best of him when he was with the Angels last year and then with Cincinnati before that. So something to kind of look look at, something to kind of keep in the back of your mind as the season progresses and obviously into the next couple seasons. But the Angels do win Saturday's game. Nine to seven, so at least they scave off the sweep of the Texas Rangers. Sunday ended up being Detmers Day again. Like I mentioned, he got pushed back from Saturday to Sunday, and ever since Detmers has went down, it seemed like fixed his slider, come back up. He has absolutely dominated, and that had changed nothing, nothing at all with, with this outing. This outing was great. If you remember Detmers, one of the big things too with Detmers is that. Coming out of college, coming out of Louisville, one of the main reasons a lot of uh, scouts and baseball people liked him as a high draft pick was the fact that he was he wasn't necessarily overpowering. He wasn't one of these guys coming out of college or coming out of high school that's throwing 98, 99 consistently. Um, can he get up to like 96, 97 at times? I, I think he can at times. He can touch it. But that's not where he sits. But where he was making the most end roads was – he could pitch and he was accurate. He could hit his spots. And that's what a lot of scouts loved about him. Yeah, he doesn't have overpowering stuff, but he can hit his spots. He can change the eye level because of that accuracy. And he's going to be a really tough guy to um, get a hold of, especially because he's able to mix speeds so well. You mix speeds very well and hit your spots. That's a tough combination. And for whatever reason, you know, the slider was part of it, but overall, in the beginning of the season, not even, you know, don't count the no hitter. But after that, it just seemed like he was having trouble locating and his walks were up. And for a guy that got drafted because he was so accurate, when that starts slipping a little bit, or is that isn't your main tool while you're pitching, that can be really be an issue. But since he's been back in trip from triple a, his, 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 him pitching, not just throwing and trying to throw hard and trying to do all that stuff, but him pitching, hitting corners, hitting his spots, changing eye levels, changing speeds, that has all been on point, and it showed. And it showed again on Sunday when he went seven innings, three hits, two runs, one of them earned, again, another issue defensively for the Angels. I think this is the play where uh, the Brandon Marsh was unable to play the ball around the corner in the outfield. But again, one earned run, three walks, career high, 12 strikeouts. So yes, Detmers had a very, very good day on Sunday and has looked absolutely fabulous since coming back from AAA and making that one start. And maybe maybe that's all it is. Maybe part of it was the confidence. Maybe part of it was just um, taking a step back and, and allowing yourself to breathe a little bit. And like I mentioned before, that no-hitter for a guy like Reed Detmers, a rookie, 
And now everyone wants to talk to you. Everyone wants to have you for an interview. You're on the TV shows. You're on, you know, you're the most recent no hitter in baseball. So, of course, everyone's coming knocking on your door. Maybe he needed that step back out of the spotlight for a week or so to get himself right and get back to what he was doing before. And hopefully this is a step in the right direction. We talked about Sandoval. You know, you have him and Sandoval, you know, whether either one of them developed to be a true number one or these guys developed to be like a two and a three, you have to have, you have to feel like these guys will be legit twos and threes if they never end up getting to that top ace type level, front rotation type level, or, or if the Angels go out and get a bona fide ace type starter, then these guys will slot perfectly in that two to three spot in the future. Um, but Detmers looks great. He's been looking great since coming back, and this outing was uh, another perfect example of what you know he can be going to the future. And again, he is very young. We talked about some of these guys, Luis Renhefeld definitely being one of them, Brandon being one of them, who are just really young and for for the first time in a while it just seems like you know there's young guys to be excited about Detmers again 23 years old 23 years old so you're looking at last year when he made his MLB debut at 22 years old it is crazy that the to see like what some of these trade prospects are going or trade uh deadline pitchers are going for and the hype behind them and, and rightfully so but a lot of these guys are you know 27 28 you know they're still fairly young but they're still five years away from what reed detmers is so i like the fact that he's very young i like the fact that he's left-handed i love the fact that he is putting it together right now for the angels and i think reed detmers is going to be a huge part of this rotation going forward and we're just hoping as angel fans that um there's something else to, to go behind him so obviously sunday for the offense was not great Another game where they only were able to, to put together two runs. Um, you had RBIs by Luis Renhefel again and Andrew Velasquez. But other than that, the Angels really seem to struggle with men in scoring position, only going one for six. And it seems like that has been the real issue is getting guys on but not really being able to convert, you know, putting guys home, getting guys home, getting, you know, the right guy up at that time. But Angels, again, struggle. Otani a little bit better. He was two for two with two walks. So, obviously, they wanted nothing to do with him. But, again, another O for, for Jared Walsh. He did get a walk, so he did get on base. But this makes a bigger question as far as what do the Angels do at first base? Is this – do the Angels need a new first baseman? And so we'll talk about that, too, as well right after the break. But to put a bull on this series for the Texas Rangers, the Angels drop – the Sunday game, 5-2. to two. Offense outside of one game never really seemed to show up. Again, you're, when you look at the scores and you're seeing a 0, a 2, and a 2 um, in the loss column, it, it shows that the offense, which we have figured would, was the problem all season long so far, um, is still there. You know, Pitching, surprisingly, has done a very good job of keeping the games close. Like I mentioned, you had... Otani, you had um, Sandoval, you had Detmers, all keep the games really close until late, until, you know, unfortunate circumstances with the bullpen and just airs or whatever. But the starting rotation has looked very good this season, and that is very surprising considering the Angels passed. Angels need pitching. Angels need to do this. Angels need to do that. So, But it seems like that ball seems to be rolling in the right direction, the pitching now it's just it's so obvious now that the Angels need more depth at that at that uh, lineup that you know bench spots the the more depth the more consistent guys and you know it's hard to see the the positives right now but Luis Renjifo big positive David Fletcher back in the lineup big positive and again Sunday he was he did not play and I know some people were upset about it because of the big win they had the night before. But you have to remember, David Fletcher was planning to play Sunday. He was had Saturday off. But because he played Saturday, they had to roll the day off to Sunday. He is a guy that's coming back from, from, from surgery. You don't want to rush him back. Again, I don't know what you would call the equivalent of a pitch count for an offensive player. But I feel like Fletcher is, is on that for a team that, you know, obviously it is very, very unlikely they make the playoffs. For this team to make the playoffs, they need to go on a 
Oakland A's type of 20-game win streak. And even then, if they are in the middle of a 20-game win streak, you got to believe that every player on the on on the lineup and is going to get a day off here and there. It's just you need overall depth. But we'll see how this plays out. So I'm not too worried about Fletcher not uh, playing on Sunday. I think that's normal. And for a guy coming off injury, that's what you expect. Last thing you want to do is have him re-aggravate anything and then shut him down for the rest of the year because then you really don't know what you're going to have going into next year. If you remember, in 2021, Fletcher didn't have a great year. He didn't have the Fletcher year that he had in 2020 or even 2019. So there's still a little, for me at least, there's still questions about what Fletcher is out there, what Fletcher is Fletcher. You know, how good is he? How consistent is he? Which one is he? So the last thing you really need right now is for him to be shut down for a significant amount of time again and still have all these questions going into next season. So, again, Angels drop three of four against the Texas Rangers that have an off day Monday today, the first day of August before they finish off this home series against the Oakland Athletics. And they're involved in trades. Uh, Angels will be probably involved in trades by the time you listen to this, and we'll talk about that uh, right after this. And we are back again. um, Trade deadline, less than 24 hours away, and then by the time you're listening to this, it's probably going to be closer to like two or three hours away. And As of right now, the Angels are silent on the trade market. The only news they have made Monday morning was the fact that came out that the Angels are not looking to trade Shohei Otani at this trade deadline. Now, we'll see what that means going forward in the offseason. We'll see what this means going forward next trade deadline. But the fact that they are not willing to trade him right now shows a couple things, to me at least, that they are going to go full go next year as far as trying to win. And if you're going to try to win next season, you need to have Shohei Otani because even if you trade him right now at this at this point of the season and this trade deadline, you know you might be able to get some major league caliber players, but unless you're going to get two, you know, top end one top end pitcher and one top end hitter in that trade, which I don't know if you can get that necessarily for a Shohei Otani, but that's what you would the minimum would have to be to even equal what Shohei's doing. That's the hard part with Shohei. You trade him away, you're losing two players, essentially. And you need two really good players to fill the void. Now, if you go the prospect route for Shohei, maybe you get like one um, MLB-ready type of player, but maybe the rest of the, of the trade package is top-end prospects that are maybe two or three years away. That means they're not going to be ready to compete next year. And you're just telling yourself that you're going to compete. Well, you have to have the players to do it, and those players will not be it. And not only that, prospects are very tricky. Prospects mean promise, mean potential. But there's been so many times where guys have been highly ranked um, prospects or highly ranked, you know, can't miss guys, and they miss. It's sometimes that's just part of the business. I mean, I don't want to pile on to an angel, but you look at what Joe Adele was coming up through the minor leagues and coming up, you know, through the system. And he's the next, you know, hot shot and hot and outfield. He's going to be the angels next star player and all this and all that. And to this point, again, it's still early. It's still early in his career and there's no telling what could happen in the next year or two, but he hasn't been that. And so if you're willing to trade Otani for prospects that have that same kind of hype, there's no promise they're going to be that for the next two or three years. And with the Angels' history of developing prospects, especially prospects, you have to be worried that they're able, they're not going to be taking a guy who has a lot of promise and, for lack of a better word, jacking it all up. So it, it's really hard for me to sit here and say, Go ahead and trade away the best player in baseball right now or one of the top three best players in baseball right now for a pair of, or not pair, but even let's say a a, a five-person prospect return and have a lot of confidence in the Angels, you know, development staff to not mess that up. You have Shoei. You know what Shoei is. You get five fresh players from another team, and now you really have to hope that the Angels don't mess it up. And 
until they start showing that they can start producing major league caliber players more consistently, I'm going to have that kind of thought in my head that everything they do is going to be, you know, kind of like one eye kind of squinted, like, oh, I don't know if they're really going to be able to do this kind of deal. Now, fast forward two or three years, Kai Bush is a stud, you know, um, you have uh, some of these other infield guys like Jeremiah Jackson, stud. If you have, uh, you know, whoever is, is, is a stud and they're developing uh, minor league players left and right, then I'd be like, all right, that makes a ton of sense. But as we sit right here, I don't know how anyone can have confidence in the Angels organization as far as developing whatever prospects they get back in any kind of trade. They, they got, you know, fairly lucky. Jansen Junk looks like a great pitcher right now. Elvis Paguera looks like he can be a, possibly a great reliever, and that was a trade that they got for Andrew Heaney last year from New York. But as far as any other player, you really have to kind of keep one eye open, and hopefully they don't jack it up. And, again, until the Angels show that they can do it at a more consistent level, I get worried about any kind of prospects they get back from any kind of trade. And so for me – Yes, Shohei in an ideal situation, you do not want him to walk and get nothing for him. But at the same time, if you do trade him, your chances of winning, even being competitive next year, take a huge step back. And let's be honest, I think, I I truly feel this team is underperforming. For whatever reason, you can blame the coaches, you can blame the players, you can blame Artie Marino. You can blame bad luck, whatever you want. I do feel like this team is underperforming to the capabilities that it is able to do. So if you're thinking about, well, you know, yes, you do have to make little changes here and there. But if you make those little changes here and there, Stassi gets back onto what he was last year. Jared Walsh gets back to what he was last year. You're looking at a wild card right now as we sit that the – Tampa Bay Rays have that third spot in the wild card, and they're only 54 and 48. So they're not necessarily running away with it. They're not necessarily, you know, far beyond the reaches of any other team. If you're kind of hovering around 500, you're right in there. You know, right now the Chicago White Sox are 51 and 50, and they're only two and a half games back of that last wild card spot. So do I think with Shohei next year, this team is going to be around that 500 mark if Detmers takes the next step, if Sandoval takes the next step, if, you know, you do get, you do address the depth issue when it comes to the lineup. If Trout and Rendon have somewhat, I'm not saying a full healthy year, but a somewhat of a healthy year, you know, obviously you need Joe to take a step forward. You need Brand, you need all these guys to theoretically take a step forward. And the good news is, all the guys that I'm mentioning have either A, done it before, so you know that they're capable of it, or they're just really young, and that's kind of the natural progression of things. You think they, you know, when you're 23, you should be better when you're 24, and when you're 24, you should be better when you're 25. So hopefully that means these guys get a little bit better next year, and these angels are going to be right in that mix. And then what? Are you still saying trade Shohei then? If this was, if the angels were at, at 500 right now, and if they were at 500, like I mentioned, they would be, uh, you know, guesstimating. They'd probably be like two games out of the last wild card spot. You wouldn't be saying trade Shohei. You'll be saying trade the minor leaguers. Let's make a run out of it. And I would agree. But you have to hold on to Shohei to see if you can make that kind of a run. And guess what? It might come down to next year where they are at 500 at this point next year at the trade deadline. They make trades to get guys in to help. They might make the playoffs. They might not make a very good run at it or a deep run at the playoffs, but they might get in the playoffs with Shohei. And guess what? He's still going to walk away for nothing. But at least you have a run. And that's what the hard part with this Angels team is. Yes, you can go full rebuild. Yes, you can trade Otani and do all that stuff. But I don't think, I don't feel like this team is a, 43 and 59 record team. Yes, maybe they are when guys aren't healthy, when Rendon out, which I think has hurt the team a lot more than I think other people thought would happen when he went out. Missing Trout obviously hurts a lot. You know, no offense to uh, Sierra, no offense to Joe, but those two guys, they can be sparks at times. No, no offense to Brandon, they can be sparks at times. But nothing is going to 
replace Trout, even if Trout is limited to what he can do because of a back issue. Even if Trout's at-bats go down, he's still able to produce at a higher level than what is in the outfield presently right now. So, yes, he is definitely, definitely missed. But this team, I, you know, with a few tweaks here and there, I think they're very easily can be 500 next year. And that puts you in that third playoff spot. It puts you in the mix, which, again, isn't saying a lot. You know, you're 500, but it still puts you in that playoff mix. And if you take Shohei away and trade him away, does that make this team better next year? I'm not talking about five years from now. I'm talking about next year. It doesn't. It makes the team worse. So it's hard to say that the Angels need to start sailing right away because, A, Shohei's pretty much your only your only capable um, trade piece that's going to give you any kind of big return. And then Noah Syndergaard is going to get something, but probably not a whole lot. So I think the fact that the Angels did not trade Shohei Otani is a very smart move because this team can make and again, I'm going to say this, and that's, I'm going to say it two, two different statements that are both true and, and they can both happen. This team can make a serious run at 500 next year. And this team can make a serious run at a playoff spot next year. And it's the same record, same thing. And that's what this third wildcard spot has done. Whether you like it or don't like it, if you're hovering around 500, you're going to be within five games of that third wildcard spot. So if the Angels are two games above 500 at this point next year, they're going to be in the mix. And I think it would be really hard for any Angel fan, even the most skeptical Angel fan, to say, hey, if next year you get Rendon back healthy, Trout healthy, you get um, you get Detmers and Sandoval to take the next step, Jansen Junk looks good. You get Bachman to make his MLDB, MLB debut, and he looks good. Kai Bush competes for that you know, sixth spot. Maybe go out and sign a B-level. B Whatever the equivalent of Noah Syndergaard was this year, you find that guy next year, and you bring him back for the Angels to do what Noah Syndergaard has done this year. I always feel like there's always going to be someone like that every single year where there's a guy who is either trying to reestablish his value because coming off a bad injury or a bad season and you can get him cheap and he'll have something to prove and he'll be able to um, perform and I think you can do that whether it's a Ty Cobb not Ty Cobb Alex Cobb wow if you've got Ty Cobb that'd be crazy Alex Cobb um, type of pitcher a Noah Syndergaard type pitcher that can just fit in there whether it's a three or a four but just is in there I think you can find that in the offseason without spending a ton of money you know how do you feel about Luis Renjifo and David Fletcher being your two middle infielders. That's a big issue. Maybe you do buy, maybe you do go out and get a big time shortstop like Turner or uh, whoever else. I know there's a couple out there, um, Dansby Swanson or whatever. Maybe you do go out there and get a big time shortstop at the free agent market because you know in the back of your head, maybe I'm not going to be able to sign Shoei Tony long term so I can invest that money now, but we're going to win now. Maybe that happens. But I do think this team can be around 500 next year at this time next year, which will automatically put them in the playoff position. Again, Chicago White Sox, perfect example. They are 51 and 50, two and a half games back of the third wild card spot. Baltimore Orioles are 51 and 51. They are exactly 500 on Monday uh, evening, and they are three games out of that last wild card spot. So if you're telling me the Angels couldn't be 50 and 50 at this point next year, Without doing a whole blow up, I, I I have to ask you how do you see that happening? Unless everyone's injured, which again, angels pass angels, that could happen. That could happen. But I you know it's hard to predict when injuries happen. So I, I'm okay without the trade to to Shohei Otani. Maybe they hopefully they're able to trade Noah Syndergaard and get pieces like a Jansen Junk and a Elvis Paguero that can contribute at times next year. Maybe not be you know big pieces. But guys that contribute a little bit next year and maybe have a bigger part of a future with the Angels after that. But not training Shohei, I think, is a good good uh, plan. Again, if you're going to win next year, which I think, again, you can. You can get to 500. Angels can get to 500 next year and compete for that last wild card spot. I know a lot of people want the division and all this stuff, but let's take a baby steps. Let's get to the 500. Let's get to that third wild card spot. Let's get into the dance. Then after that, we'll see what happens. But, again, I think it's perfectly capable of getting 
to the playoffs next year at being being at or around 500 at this point next year. And obviously, if you're going to do that, you need Shohei Otani on the team doing what he does, both hitting and pitching. One of those guys that's going to need to take a step forward once again next season if the Angels are going to be in that playoff push is going to have to be Jared Walsh. He has been a guy that has been really, really struggling as of late. And he went from being an all-star last year in 2021 to a guy that, quite frankly, it seems like he is kind of a um, liability right now at the plate. He is not walking. He is not doing the stuff he did last year. And it makes you think. Jared Walsh had a very, very good last month of 2020. A really good last month. I mean, you, you go back and look at that last month in 2020 and see what Jared Walsh did. His numbers pop off that page. Last year, like I mentioned, had a very good beginning of the season again that let him become an all-star at the midway point of last season. But you still started to see a little bit of a fade towards the back end of last season. And in this season, he has just not been able to become that all-star type of player that I think Angel's front office, Angel fans, thought he was going to be again this year. So it makes me think of the question, do the Angels have a first base problem? Do they need another first baseman or a guy that can be there and compete with Jared at the next spring training for that first base spot? Luckily, Jared Walsh is a is young contract-wise, and he's going to be here for a while, so you're not paying him a lot. So you do have that. But you do need him to start stepping up and being more productive at the first baseman. You look at first basements across the league, they are a high-producing offensive position in baseball. And I definitely think that if he's not producing, you might have to look other other places to get a good first baseman whether it's through the trade market in the offseason or if that's, you know, putting David McKinnon out there, if it's putting other first basemen, uh, Sonny DeShera, the, the Auburn signee this last draft pick, has had a very good start to his professional career down at uh, AA Rocket City. So maybe he comes up next year and competes for a first base spot at um, spring training, and maybe there is some kind of a platoon between the two next year. I don't know, but if this team is definitely going to compete next year, you need more production out of that first base spot. And I'm sure as fans, we hope it is Jared Walsh because he did have such a great year last year. But it, for for this team to, to produce and, and produce wins, the first base position needs to be an offensive position. And for what everything good he does defensively, Jared, he still needs to produce offensively. And he just has been struggling very, very much so far this season. One guy that has not been struggling this last month and has gotten better every month he's played has been Luis Renifo. And we talked a little about him earlier. We talked about a little about him last week. But this guy has finally seemed to turn a corner in his development again another guy who's only 25 years old and yes he has been around for a little while but when you look at the age for me at least it was very very surprising because he to me it didn't seem like he was that young but yeah he is 25 years old what i like about him too is the fact that he is a switch hitter so you're not going to have that same issue that you have with like a jared walsh where He's great against righties, but he struggles against lefties and struggles mightily. No, like, Luis can do it both sides. Yes, he has more pop from one side compared to the other, but he seems to be hitting just fine um, when you look at his splits, lefties versus righties and all that stuff. So as you look at the month of July, the month that just passed, he had, he played in 24 games. He batted 333 with an on-base of 347 and a slugging of 452. So obviously he is gradually getting better. And you look at his stats from you know May, June, July, and, and everything like that. He's doing he's doing doing a lot, lot better. So we'll see how how this plays out. If he 
does compete for that spot going forward if he's maybe possibly a trade prospect for the angels to kind of cash in high while his values and his uh hitting has been at a career high for him we'll see how that plays out in the trade deadline but this guy again if he could take that next step going forward next year and play and i think that's part of the issue with the angels this year was once Fletcher went down, you had a constant rotation at shortstop and second base for guys that you want, and I think this is the part where Renjifo is really benefiting from, is the fact that he's getting out there almost every single day and he's getting almost every single at-bat at either short or second or third. Like He's always out there at some position, and I think that's what's helped him. What's hurt the Angels this season is that you want guys like Wade when he was here or Velasquez or, um, you know, any one of those guys, you wanted them to get every day at bats. But when they're showing that there's not even a little glimpse of them getting kind of hot, it's hard to keep on putting them out there with Luis. Even before this, if you look at the um, month of May, granted, it was kind of a small sample size, but in the month of May, he was hitting 290. So there was a glimpse there where you're like, oh, maybe we should give him more at bats. Maybe, you know, he just needs more every day. And it it seems like it's actually benefited the Angels that he's getting more every day at bats and more everyday opportunities. And hopefully if he continues to develop, he can become that that second baseman that the Angels need going forward to team up with, like I mentioned, uh, Fletcher and 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 Anthony Rendon when he comes back because if you're able to kind of solidify that and keep that infield the way it is right now and besides you know Rendon the rest of that infield is fairly cheap you know so you have to save money somewhere so you can do it with Walsh who is cheap you can do it with um, Rendon who is cheap you can do it with Fletcher who's on a very team-friendly deal so um, maybe that's the way the Angels go if they feel comfortable in Luis Renjifo going forward and again we'll have to see how this rest of the season plays out Obviously, Stefanik came up. He did his little thing for a little while. If he's going to be a major league player, it looks like he needs a little more seasoning, if you will. Or maybe that's we saw what what he was going to be. I mean, we don't know that either. But from when he was up here, it wasn't great. And granted, he might have been part of that not getting everyday reps kind of issue. But Luis has definitely gotten the everyday reps, and he's taking advantage of it. And I think that's great to see with Luis Renjifo and um, him being able to take steps forward. For a guy that was a player to be named later in the CJ Crone trade, it is cool to finally see this guy develop. Again, at 25, so still fairly young. And hopefully this means he is turning a corner uh, for the Angels and the Angels organization. So one last thing before we go, obviously you can always reach us on our social media feeds as Halo underscore Haven, both on Instagram and on Twitter, but you can also call us on our voicemail line, 951-384-0810. And there you can leave a voicemail, you can leave a question, you can leave a hot take, you can leave a reaction to a game, anything you want. And we'll play it on the next podcast, just like this one from Ruben. Hey, it's Ruben from Woodland Hills. Just wanted to give a little input here. I think uh, it's the only way the Angels can keep Otani and stay competitive or possibly make the playoffs in the next few years is if Artie Moreno goes above the luxury tax threshold and uh, and if he's not going to, then it's time to let Otani go. Time to do a mini quick rebuild, get as many of the many top prospects as you can, and and go from there. Trade Ward Walsh is completely um, reimagine the roster like the Sacramento did a couple years ago. I think it worked out for them. Anyway, just some quick thoughts. All right, thank you, Ruben. Again, if you guys want to call. 951-384-0810. So, yeah, I think obviously if Audi Moreno goes above the tax threshold, it makes the opportunity of this team competing a lot more. But like I mentioned before, I think this team can compete, can play at 500 with what they have here, make a run with Shoei Otani in the playoffs, and, you know, 
being 500 right now isn't a bad thing when it comes to that third wild card spot. Yes, everyone wants to win a division. Yes, everyone wants to be have a little more of a secure footing when it comes to playoffs. But realistically, all you need to do is get into the dance. And as far as trading, you know, like Walsh and and Ward, you know, those guys are cheap and they're very contract contract friendly and they're going to be around for a little bit longer because there's no need to trade them. You know, are you going to trade them because why? I mean, they're not costing you a lot um, unless there's some person that really falls in love with one of those players and gives you above what you think they're worth. Then, yeah, you do it. But I just don't see those guys going anywhere, at least not right now. Um, as far as the Seattle Mariners, you mentioned about the rebuild that the Seattle Mariners did. They're still struggling. They haven't made the playoffs in 20 years. And we'll see what happens this season. They made some big moves, um, getting Luis Castillo from the from the uh, Cincinnati Reds to help their chance of making the playoffs this year. But the part of the thing with the Seattle Mariners is not necessarily, you know, yes, they sold off players to rebuild that farm system, but some of those guys in the farm system are also homegrown. They drafted guys that are developing. And I think that's the biggest thing too is that, Yes, you want to have prospects in your system to make your farm system better, but you can't think you can rebuild a farm system by trading away your top guys and getting maybe one or two guys to to be put in that system to make it better. Majority of those guys need to be homegrown. Most of those guys need to be guys that you drafted as a team and developed them from the beginning. You can only do so much by trading your major league talent for top prospects from another team. You know, yes, that helps. And yes, that's a good way of kind of, you know, f- putting, fitting the gaps and, and filling the gaps in, in your minor league system. But you still need the, the, the heart of your minor league system to be homegrown guys that are, you know, drafted and they are developed and they work your way through your system. And that's how you become some of these teams. You see now, obviously, the trade deadline, you've seen the, the, the main teams that are involved in a lot of these trades, whether it be the Yankees, the Padres, um, the Seattle Mariners, they're all doing it because they have a ton of prospects. And, you know, I saw a tweet earlier from, I think it was, let me see, I got to pull it up from uh, one of the MLB guys. Uh, let's see, from Bob Nightingale. He said the Yankees from since 2021, since the beginning of the 2021 season, have traded away 33 minor leaguers and they're still haven't even touched their top two i think prospects two or three prospects in their organization and that's because they develop guys in their farm system that they draft you know it's not like the nfl it's not like the nba where you can just all of a sudden trade for a bunch of draft picks and instead of having 20 picks in one year, you have, you know, 30. No, you're going to have between 19 and 21 draft picks, it seems like, for the foreseeable future. There's like everybody else in the major leagues. So it's what you do with those players that makes your organization good or not. So we'll see how this trade deadline comes out. We'll probably do or I'll probably end up doing an Instagram live at the trade deadline tomorrow. It's at 3 p.m. Um, obviously, West Coast time, 6 p.m. East Coast time. And hopefully by then we'll have more information about if Noah Syndergaard's going, if Noah Syndergaard is not. If he is not going, he will be pitching Tuesday night at Angel Stadium against the Oakland A's uh, Cole Irving, which was supposed to be, I believe, Frankie Montas, but now he is traded to the New York Yankees. So, again, a lot of things can change in the next 24 hours. Um, We are less than that away from the trade deadline as we record this. So, Keep a lookout for your beat writers. Again, Brett Bollinger, Jeff Fletcher, Sam Blum. Uh, They will have the news as it breaks. Go ahead and put them on your alerts on your Twitter feed so you will be the one of the first to know when something breaks. So, again, we'll be back at the end of this Oakland A series. I'm sure we'll talk about whatever trades happen between now and then. The Oakland A series, hopefully it's a good series. And uh, whatever happens in Angel Land between now and then. But, again, trade deadline right around the corner and we'll see what happens going forward with the angels so until next time i am your host daniel garcia and this has been another edition of the all angels podcast
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.